Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. The church says to every authoritarian government, there is a power and authority higher than you. Our calling is not first to comply with your laws. We must obey God rather than men. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Justin Peters. I hope that this finds you and your family doing well today. I want to thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Today I had the privilege of interviewing John MacArthur, pastor of Grace Community Church, about the film The Essential Church. The Essential Church film details the struggles that Grace Community Church had with the restrictions coming from the local and state government dealing with the, uh, let's call it Charlie Vector 19 season. I understand that there is some censorship going on on YouTube, so I'll try to speak in code as much as possible. But uh, Charlie Vector 19 and and uh, the restrictions that local state and governments, not only with Grace Community Church, but in many places around the country, uh, as well in Canada. Uh, the film also interviews James Coates and Tim Stevens, two Canadian pastors who faced not only the threat of persecution, but they were actually arrested for simply opening their churches up in obedience to Hebrews 10.25, but in defiance uh, against the restrictions that were coming down from the Canadian government. And so this is a, a, a very well done film start to finish. I was very, very impressed with it. I went into it with high expectations, though those expectations were exceeded. Uh, let me say that this this film is not about Grace Community Church or John MacArthur, for that matter. I know a lot of the critics say, oh, this is this is just something to make Grace Community Church look good and put John MacArthur up on a pedestal and evangelical celebrity and all this. The only people who could say that are those who have not actually seen it. So um, please do go see it because one of the things that really impressed me about the film is how transparent it was uh, with the internal struggle uh, amongst the elder board at Grace Community Church with how to respond to the um, Charlie Vector 19 season and the restrictions that were coming down from the California government. Um, they were not a unified elder board in the early stages of this. Uh, now, keep in mind that Grace Community Church has 40 elders, so it's it's a lot easier to get uh, unanimity if you have only a few elders in a smaller church. But when you've got 40 different men, uh, that's, a, that's a heavier lift to get unanimity amongst that many. And uh, they weren't unified. And it's, it's a very transparent view into their own struggles with how to balance Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than man, and Romans chapter 13 as well, where Paul instructs us to be in subjection to the governing authority. So what is the right balance there? And um, 
and I'll say that I myself, in the early stages of CV-19, um, I struggled with that too. And, and I initially did not have a right view of it. I kind of thought, well, Romans 13 is pretty clear. There's no real um, you know, caveats there. Uh, but by God's grace came to a, a much better understanding, biblical understanding of, of how we are to truly look at uh, Romans 13 and Acts chapter 5 and all that. And the film goes into this. And it's just um, it's a powerful testimony of the Lord's work, not only in the life of Grace Community Church, but uh, Tim Stevens, James Coates, and, and those faithful churches. And let me also say many other churches out there i know that um you know we're not in the headlines but nonetheless they did the right thing as well and so it's um this is not a film that makes much of one particular church or one particular man it's a film that makes much of christ and i think you will see that i do encourage you to go see it uh the second part of this interview I interview Shannon Halliday. He is the writer, director of the Essential Church film. And I will put the timestamps down below in the description so you can navigate this interview a little bit more quickly and, and jump around as, as you wish. So uh, ask him some more questions and shed further light on this. Um, the film is just so well done. The writing, the storyline, uh, and even special effects. I wasn't expecting special effects, but it's just absolutely superb so please do go see it uh all the pertinent links down below in the description where you can get more information where you can find uh theaters near you that are showing it you can put in your zip code and um advertise this this film on your social media accounts instagram twitter facebook all that kind of fun stuff advertise it get it out there the more the word is out there the more people go to see it, the more theaters will open up uh, and show it. And so um, I, th I think by God's grace, this will be a tremendous resource, a tremendous encouragement, and even a really good, powerful lesson in church history. There's just a lot in this film. So I can't say enough good things about it. So all the uh, timestamps, all the links to everything that you need down below in the description. Okay, dear ones, without any further delay, here's my interview with John MacArthur. Well, John, brother, thank you so very much for coming on to my program. It's an honor to have you on my YouTube channel. So thank you so much. How are you today? Well, I'm doing fine, and I'm honored to, to have a conversation with you. Uh, you're, a, you're a dear friend, so thank you for the privilege. Absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, John, I, I want to talk to you about the film. Uh, it was a special privilege of mine just a few nights ago, this past Thursday night, to uh, sit in a movie theater with you. There's a lot of things that I never thought that I would do in my life. Flying on the space shuttle would be one of those. And, and sitting in a movie theater with you, watching a film <laughs> together is another one. Uh, but it was a, a special time. John, tell us a little bit about the film. How did this come about and and what was the motivation behind it? Well, we went uh, through the pandemic, as everybody knows, um, um, kind of in the in the public eye, because we we said no, we're not going to we're not going to comply, we're not going to follow the lockdowns, we're not going to follow the masks and the distancing and the whatever else they onerous things they put on us, because we're the church, 
and uh, our head is the Lord Jesus Christ and not Gavin Newsom and not the health department of LA and, right. and all those powers. So th that's how the story began. And it, it went on for a couple of years. Uh, and the end of it was so amazing and remarkable because we won our case after suing the government. We, we won the case. And the, the result of the winning of the case was that the government had to pay three and a half million dollars in all the legal fees. And they had to give us a permanent injunction against any time in the future that no government authority or office can come against Grace Community Church. And you ask, well, why would they give you that if they wanted to shut you down? If they were fining you and threatening prison and threatening to take away your property, why would they all of a sudden flip, pay all the fees and give you that permanent protection? And the answer was because toward the end, we said we want a trial and we want to bring the health officials and the county supervisors in for legal deposition. And that's perjury if you lie. And we're going to ask them the truth about COVID. And when we declared that we wanted a trial and we we're going to ask them the questions about COVID, 24 hours later, they paid all the fees and gave us the permanent injunction. The one thing they feared most was the truth. Yeah, right. So that's the story. And uh, it, it just felt in my own heart like this was so unusual a situation, you know, to come up against the government and, and you know, in the end, the Lord vindicated us that I wanted to document the story. It's not about me. It's not about Grace Church. It's much bigger than that. And I didn't want to wait five years down the road for somebody to write about this and spin it a different way. I, I wanted a documentary that says this is exactly what happened and this is how you have to understand it. And so that so that people would be encouraged in the future when this stuff comes back again, because I don't think they're done trying to deal with Christianity and this culture that is so debased right. and wicked. So I, I, I was hopeful, number one, that it would put some courage in the church for the future to see what God did when we were faithful. And secondly, I actually want to make some people feel guilty uh, for shutting down the church and missing the opportunity to see the hand of God. I was actually going to ask you about that because I saw your clip. Uh, someone posted it and it. Uh... I wanted to produce something that would show how the Lord blesses those who are faithful for the purpose of the future. I, I wanted some pastors and leaders to see this and feel guilty. <laughs> Yeah, so can you flesh that out a little bit more for us when you say you want you hope that it makes some pastors feel guilty? What's your heart behind that? Well, if if you just shut your church down, um what are you saying? You're saying in in a sense um Christ is not the head of the church. Right. Um we've been told to shut this thing down and you say, "Well, there was a there was a there was an illness. What do you want me to do?" Well, we could say we, we want you to do what they did in the Middle Ages, what they did when the Black Death and the bubonic plague came along. They don't shut the churches down. If ever there's a time to open church wide, it's then. 
I mean, this isn't just we, we want to sing our songs. This is people in hospitals dying and no one can visit them. Right. You know, no one can visit them. We had conversations with people who said, my brother's dying. Can you go visit him and help give him the gospel? Or my, my mother's dying or my, my parents are older. They're at home. They have, they have not committed themselves to Christ. Can you visit them? I couldn't get into hospitals to minister to dying people in our church congregation. One particular wife on her deathbed, I finally broke through the thing to get to her with my wife, Patricia. So this is the time for the church to step up. So that's where you have to start. Once you realize that this is not... um this is not the Black Death like in the Middle Ages. It should have been a much easier, you know, response to say, "Hey, we're just going to be the church." Um, when you, and then when you realize they were lying to you about the the uh, danger, this was way way overstated as to the mortality rate. Yes, the churches should have run fast to open up. This is a this is about the conviction of what the church is in the world. Just a footnote to that: the LAPD police in Los Angeles started coming back to our church even before the congregation did. Um, what what does that signify? Well, two things happened. One, they were being mercilessly brutalized in the BLM riots and all the defunding the police. And they started coming to Grace Church in in groups and their families. Um, this was no, nothing they feared. This was something they desperately needed and wanted. And we had time and time again conversations with the leadership of the police department. So, you know, I was aware that they they knew that this was not what people were told it was. Yeah. Um, and the the other thing that happened was we realized that if we are unfaithful in a sort of a minor test like this, we wouldn't be ready for the big one. You know, somebody said to me, well, this is like a one on a one to 10 scale. Why don't you wait for the big one? And my response was, look, if something comes against the church, we resist. Um, We don't choose this battle because it's a three or a four or a five on a one to 10 if you assault the Church of Christ, we, we fight back. I mean, we defend the church at every level. And so th- this is the message we want to convey in the documentary. Be strong, be faithful, and God will vindicate himself, as he always does, with his faithful people. Right. Because once the government realizes it can take some freedoms away, I mean, it's, it's a slippery slope. Uh, it, it may be you know, a little here, a little there initially, but uh, the government, the pattern is always to take more and more freedom and encroach further and further upon the church. So it, um, it may be. Let me a- illustrate that. Let me illustrate that for you. They came to us and they said, we refuse to do anything. We refuse to any of the demands because this is a first amendment situation. And right. we're not, we're not, we have freedom by, by the constitution. So, they said, would you at least do masks? No. Mm-hmm. Would you at least social distance? No. Would you have one entrance? No. Would you separate people in the auditorium? No. Would you have this number and no more? No. We kept saying no. 
necessarily because I kept saying no, because if I ever said yes, if I ever said yes, yeah, we'll do masks because you told us we have just given up our First Amendment protection. We, right. We've we let the, the camel's nose in the tent. Yes. And in a lawsuit, the first place that they would have gone in a courtroom would have been, well, they did this when we told them to do it. So this isn't as strong a conviction as they're laying claim to. And I think Christians are going to have to understand this. I mean, this is the future. This is the future. This this um, this culture is so wicked, so base, so corrupt, so godless, so hating, hateful of the Bible. Yes. They we're going to be the problem all the way into the future. And they're going to have to silence us somewhere. They're going to try to do that. So this is a sort of a maybe a minor test for what what is coming. And um, our hope is that the documentary is going to strengthen people to take a, a stand and, and see the hand of the Lord. Indeed. Indeed. John, of course, obviously, Grace Community Church and other churches like it that also opened up in defiance of the government restrictions and lockdowns. You face criticism from that end. Uh, you know, you're killing people. You don't care about, you know, elderly and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you're not loving your neighbor. Uh, but interestingly, there's been some criticism from kind of the other side of the theological and ecclesiological aisle, if you will, saying that Grace Community Church should have never shut down, not even not even for a week. Uh, one, one of the things that struck me about the film was the transparency that was there in regards to how the elder board there, uh, worked its way through these issues because it was not a unified elder board initially as to whether or not, uh, Grace Community Church should open up. So two things, can you walk us through that a little bit, that process, within your own elder board, that struggle? And also, what would you say to those who criticize you from the other side saying, well, you should never have shut down in the first place at all? Well, yeah. And the, the, the reason we shut down in the first place for the brief period that we did was because we were told um, that people are going to die in the millions. It was It was the same as if they said there's a hurricane coming you know, send your people to the basement or something. Yeah. We, we didn't know. And the, and the terminology people will remember was 15 days to slow the spread. You know, this is temporary. Oh, okay. So th- they were, th- they got us hooked on that. It's just going to be a couple of weeks. And then they kept drawing it out and drawing it out. It was, um, I, I think it was a sensible thing to say, we don't want to harm people. And uh, we had, couple of medical doctors on our elder board who said, look, what we hear is that they're going to overrun the hospitals and uh, there's going to be such a mass of people who are ill with this COVID that the hospitals aren't going to be able to absorb them. And that would be a disaster. So let's wait and see what really unfolds. And it was about two or three weeks after that, that I knew that that was not the case. The evidence was coming in. It was coming to me just by my own observation and also from some people in the medical world who were telling me the truth. And as soon as we knew that, we said, we've got to, we've got to meet. But we also realized that we had all these terrified people in our congregation 
who had been purposely frightened of this thing. And so rather than send a mandate out and say, you must come back to church and just override their natural fears, I just began to say to people uh, that I met personally with or talked to on the phone, come to church. Yeah. Just come to church. And so there would be 50, 100, 500, and after a few weeks, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. They came back on their own. Yes. And that's the only way that I felt we could do that and not, you know, n- not just sort of dominate people in a in a fearful setting. And what happened was when they began to hear from their friends that they were together, they were healthy, the the L.A. Health Department had to put on their website, there was no COVID outbreak at Grace Community Church. Mm. I mean, that's a massive problem for them. You know, they said you can't be together because everybody's going to get sick. We had hundreds and then thousands, and we didn't have an, a break, an outbreak at all. So I think it was just... Um, I didn't want to force people. I wanted them to respond in a way that was on their own volition. That's how you have to respond to any pandemic in any situation, any reality about the difficulty of life and the dangers of just walking out of your house. Uh-huh. Uh, so they began to come back and they began to realize this wasn't what it was threatened to be. And the church began to fill up and fill up. And in the process, the elders are talking about when do we do this officially? And it came to a point where we had a church full of people, but we hadn't officially declared we were open. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. I mean, that that was what I wanted. I didn't want the top down saying, you got to come to church. I wanted the people to say, we're going to be at church. Yeah. And uh, the elders finally caught up to the people. Right, right. Well, I, th- I thought it was really a fascinating insight when it, it showed um you know, like Mike Riccardi had a significant part in talking about how he came to a, a right understanding of Romans 13 and, and um, uh, by reading some sermons or writings from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did that process take for you as an elder board and to come to a unanimous decision to open Well, up? it took a few months. Um, I think it was March when the lockdowns hit and it was July, so April, May, June of this process is going on and we don't, you know, as elders, we're, we're not really meeting. We're trying to zoom call and that doesn't work well. We're not meeting as elders on Sunday, which we normally do. We're not meeting at our normal elders meeting, zoom meeting occasionally. So trying to get everybody together and, and make the case was, was challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was, it was July when we said we're open, but by then the church was filled with people they had come back on their own because that fear began to diminish. Yeah. And Mike, Mike was wrestling. Mike Riccardi was wrestling with the issue of Romans 13. Uh-huh. The powers of be ordained of God. And so we submit to the government and what Lloyd Jones had pointed out in his commentary on Romans and what I always had strong convictions about was that we obey the government when the government functions in the territory given to it by God. Yes. You don't want the government coming in and telling you how to parent your children, although they would like to do that, and they're working hard to do it now. They would like to isolate your children from you as parents, yep. but you you fight that. You don't want the government running your church. And uh, 
so Mike was wrestling with the Romans 13 thing and through the reading of Lloyd Jones. And I thought Mike was, um, it was wonderful the way he was honest about saying, you know, I had to change my thinking. I had to see yeah. things a different way. And so that was part of the process with the elders. It wasn't that they were, um, it wasn't that they were, you know, sort of stonewalling us. It was that help me understand this. You had a medical doctor who was saying, uh, you know, help me understand this, if this is going to be what they say it is. And you have a theologian like Mike saying, okay, help me with Romans 13. And that yeah. process went on for a, a, a couple of months, and everybody was satisfied at one point, and we all just said, this is it. We're, we're opening up unanimously. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciated that part of the film. I, I thought it was very, very well done. Because I struggled with it too in those early weeks of Romans thirteen. How do you, how do you handle this? So I, I think a lot of us did. Um, one of the things that I really appreciated another one about the film, John, was the striking parallels between what Grace Community Church and James Coates and Tim Stevens and other pastors um, all over the place faced as far as persecution and threats from the government and what the Scottish Covenanters faced back in the late 1600s. Can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of uh, church history and the emphasis of church history in this film? Yeah, through the years, of course, uh, I'm I'm a lover of church history. So I dipped back into church history all the time through the preaching of scripture. And I always want to connect people with with history because, you know, one of the dangers in the church today is that people think the church is some cultural phenomenon invented for the moment, for now. Uh, there's a disdain for tradition. There's a disdain for history. Yeah. You know, you, you see an ad for a church that says, we don't have an organ. You know, we don't sing old hymns. This is not your grandma's church. And this idea that it has to become some kind of contemporary event that looks like it was invented last week. Um, so I'm always trying to connect the church with its magnificent history and the, and the hand of God through that history. So I referred to the years to the Covenanters, and the similar situation was the King of England was demanding control over the Church of Scotland uh, and, and, and essentially said, look, you, you use this prayer book that, uh, that I authorize or you're going you're gonna to be in trouble. And it, it, it went to extremes. Uh, in that period, the 1600s, to the point of uh, martyrdom. In fact, uh, there's a part of the film where you see the grass market, the little martyrdom uh, memorial there, where yeah. they burned and hanged uh, Christians because they refused the king's edict. Yes. So that was a time in church history, and there are many other times. There are even Christians now that are losing their lives in India Pakistan, because they're bold for Christ. But that part of history was a reminder that the the church is the is always going to be the target of of the enemy. And um, we may uh, we may be inconvenienced. We we may have to take a stand and uh, there, there might be a price to pay. But we haven't we haven't been hanged yet. We haven't been burned at the stake. So the, the, those noble believers of that time, and you think about those two Margarets that we depict in the film, mm-hmm. an 18-year-old girl yes. allows herself to be drowned and have her throat slit because she will not bow to the king of England, but only to her, 
her Lord Jesus. Yeah. I, I want people to understand what real nobility looks like. This is this is a feminized era. The, the, even even the church is feminized much of the time. It doesn't have the, the manliness, the fortitude. Christians don't act like men, as as Paul says in First Corinthians. So I think that helped um the the viewer of the film understand that this is a very tiny little piece of church history, but there's a bigger picture. This is not rare. This is not new. This is not different. This is what we should expect. In our country, we've had a reprieve from that for a few hundred years, but but I, I think that's over. And I think every way they can, they're they're coming for us. And we wanted the film to to help strengthen Christians by seeing the hand of God in this and um, trusting it in the future. Amen. Amen. Well, I believe it will certainly do that. Uh, I, I had high expectations coming into the film, but uh, those expectations were far exceeded. It was just so, so well done, start to finish. So well done. The gospel was in there. And um, John, I, I want to ask you a question I don't think anybody has asked you before, but there's a, a clip in the film, an audio clip from a sermon you preached back, I believe, in 1975. Uh, and, uh, I, I want to play that clip now for people to hear. And so, uh, and then I want to ask you a couple of questions on the other side of it. So let's listen to this short clip from a sermon that John preached back in 1975. There may be times when you will go to court, but the issue would be this, that wherever the word of God or the work of God is at stake, I have the right to claim my legal privileges. If, for example, some ordinance came along and tried to close down Grace Community Church, would we say, oh, it's all right, we forgive you, we'll all go home and just forget the work of God? Not on your life. We'd be down there with every sort of legal thing you could imagine trying to prove that we had the right to exist. It's a matter of protecting the privileges that God has given us for the proclamation of his word. When did you come to the decision that you were okay with suing the government? How far back do you want to go? Okay, so John, uh, with that clip, two questions. One, when all this began to unfold in 2020, did you remember that sermon and those words in that sermon? Did you remember that? Did that come to your mind? And number two, that that clip from you in 1975 is by far the most prophetic statement that I have ever heard. It far exceeds any prophetic prowess from any modern charismatic <laughs> prophet that I've ever heard. Uh, you put them in the put them in the shade, prophetically speaking. Given the eerie prophetic nature of what you said almost 50 years ago, has it made you at all rethink your 
theology on cessationism. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. No, and honestly, J uh, Justin, I didn't remember having said that. I mean, huh. that's a long time back, 1975. I didn't remember that I said that. But I do know my convictions, and I I I do know that that if they come after the church, I'm going to take a stand. It, the thing that, that struck me when the guys, I don't know how they found that. They found that clip and they brought it and played it for me. I, I, I was amazed on the one hand that they could find it. But secondly, I was not amazed that I said that because I've always believed that. Yeah. That if they come against the church, the church uses every possible thing it can legitimately to protect itself. We don't shoot people. We don't start a war. We don't start a revolution. We don't protest. We don't march. We don't burn things down. But we will claim the powers that we have and the rights that we have. And th that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did when they threatened his life. And he said, I'm a citizen of Rome. I demand to go before Caesar. He basically banked on a citizen's right to protect him from those who would take his life. So I just at the time said, you know, we're going to be the church no matter what comes. I didn't I didn't know exactly what it would be, obviously. But, um, yeah, it is nice to be a cessationist and still get something right in the future. Indeed. Well, there's more prophetic accuracy in that than anything I've ever heard from the modern prophet. So uh, that's off to you. <laughs> well, um, John, one final question. An another amazing part of this whole story is that the judge that was um, – adjudicating, I don't know if that's a correct legal term there, but presiding over this court case that y'all were involved with is a homosexual man married, quote unquote, to use that term, married to another man. Now, um, clearly not someone who would be sympathetic to your cause. And and yet he ruled in your favor. Um, and it, it made me think of Daniel chapter one, God granting Daniel and his friends favor in the sight of the commander of the officials, you know, Ashpenaz. And talk to us a little bit about this, just the sovereignty of God in, in that in particular. I, I don't have any power over that judge. Right. None of us has any power over that judge, but, but God, God has power over everyone. The heart of the King is in the hand of God. Mm -hmm. So um, this points up the fact, Justin, that, you do what is right, and then you wait to see the providence and power of God unfold. The, the thing about the judge that that was, you know, embedded in him was he was a constitutionalist. So he just kept saying, you people can't bring these charges against this church until you climb the mountain of the First Amendment. That, that was so important. Because he was a constitutionalist. Um, and just a footnote to that. When they came to me, they said, would you at least do some things? Just do something to comply. Would you do masks? And I said, no. Would you do distancing? No. Would you do quarantining people? No. Would you keep them uh, numbers limited in the worship? I said no to everything. The, the first time I said yes, if I have said, okay, we'll do masks. The camel's nose is in the tent. Yeah. And when we come to a trial, 
they're going to say this church says that they're under the power of God and they they have to meet because this is what God has ordained and they follow only his leadership but they but they used masks when we told them to you've right. just conceded your case yeah. that's that's where the prosecution is going to land with both feet so um yeah we we wanted to we wanted to do the right thing and, and look i'm i'm old enough to have seen the providence of god a thousand times over and over and over. And this is the way I want to live my life. Do what is right, proclaim the truth, and leave the consequences to the Lord. And we, as you know, because you're you're a part of the, the army of men who believe and who hold those convictions that way, um, you, you have a generation coming up like Tim Stevens and James Coates and even yourself they have those same convictions, and those two guys ended up in prison for for what they did in, in Canada. I didn't end up in prison, but in the end, all of us were vindicated, and all the churches that we are, are pastoring had a kind of an explosion of uh, spiritual response and people pouring in. So I I never calculate how can I influence a judge? How can I use some kind of carnal weapon? I just want to do what is right, preach what is right, and see what God's hand will unfold. Amazing. Amazing testimony to the sovereignty of God. Certainly is. Well, John, um, thank you so very much for your time. Uh, You've been so generous. And uh, any any final words? and, And what can people do to promote this film and get it in more theaters. I understand the number of theaters is increasing, but we want to see that number go up and up. What, what can we do to promote this? Well, there's um, the website, the essential church movie.com. Go to that, you know, link it up with your friends and spread it around. Uh, there's a listing there of the theaters and hundreds more are joining all through today, even. So the number of places where you're going to be able to see it are are expanding. And this is an amazing thing to me because, I mean, this is a film with the gospel. I mean, straight gospel is unfolded in this. And yet, you know, Cinemark and AMC and Regal Theaters, they've all taken on this film. Um, Amazing, amazing that God has allowed this to happen so, yeah, I, I think go see the film, take friends. You can order tickets on the uh, EssentialChurchMovie.com website. It lists the theaters and times and all of that and, and spread the word. All right. All right. Well, John, I, I speak not only for myself, but for millions of others. Uh, we are so very grateful for you, for your leadership, for your faithful testimony and and. um the influence of Grace Community Church, the model that you have set before us. Thank you so very much. And look, I want to say thank you for you and your ministry. You are a unique and blessed servant of the Lord. And um, I'm I'm thankful to the Lord that he brought you into my life and, and made us good friends. Thank you. Same here. Thank you so much, John. Okay, dear ones, well, this is part two of my interview. Uh, first, of course, with John MacArthur, and now it's my privilege to interview Shannon Holiday, and he is the writer-director 
of the Essential Church film. So, Shannon, brother, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is our second time to do an interview. The first one was a few months ago, so it's been a while. And um, uh, so I was there with you the other night, this past Thursday night in uh, the screening of the film. And uh, I tell you, Shannon, I told this to John, that I went in with high expectations, but those expectations were exceeded. And uh, I mean that it was just so well done. Everything from the the writing, the progression of the story, the the gospel is in the film, which I was very, very grateful of. And and even the special effects, I wasn't expecting special effects in this film, but the the way that was done was just so, so superb. So, um, yeah, what, what's your feedback been thus far from folks who have seen it? Yeah, it's been overwhelming, to be honest with you. You know, when you do something like this, especially when you don't really have a marketing budget, which we don't, we don't have advertising money to like put that out there and do what Sound of Freedom is doing. Like every time I pick up my phone, Sound of Freedom's in my feed. We don't have the money to do that. That takes a lot of money. So you're relying on word of mouth. And I'm actually seeing that happen. And it's, it's kind of crazy. Honestly, I'll hear, I'll I'll be on Facebook or, or uh, Instagram or Twitter, especially Facebook. I was just going through the thread last night and seeing the responses because we showed this movie to close to 200 churches around the world screened it at the same time we were screening it which is really fascinating feeling that god in his mercy and kindness had me to be a part of something that was the global church was taking a part in in that moment and it was uh really amazing Uh, the the community in that moment globally i just loved it and couldn't believe that I had the blessings from our king to be a part of that. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, but uh, the word of mouth is picking up and people are just on their own saying, you got to see this movie, saying things that you just said. You yeah. know, I, I didn't think it was going to be as good as it was. It's actually really good. This is actually a movie and it's right. it's good. And 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 you want to your eyes are glued to the screen and you're watching it and the story progresses and everything you dream of as a filmmaker to try to accomplish, you know, I'm sure there's going to be folks out there that can pick it apart at some point points, you know, that maybe don't like it. But for the most part, you know, people are really talking about it and the reviews have been great and word of mouth is spreading. And I'm seeing that happen in social media and it's, uh, it's awesome. Good, good. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, yeah, it was just, so well done. And I, I was telling John at, right at the end of the filming the other night, I never dreamed I would be in a movie theater with John MacArthur. It's kind of surreal. But anyway, I said, uh, I said, you know, John, I, I, I really have a kind of an inherent uh, distrust and dislike for the, the Christian filmmaking genre in general. When I think of like some of the ones that have made it out known to the big screen, you know, those kind of movies. And because the, I mean, they're, not only are they not real well done, but the, the main thing is the theology is just so bad. The theology is so bad in most of these films, but uh, not so with, you know, you, you've got some notable exceptions. You've got uh, American gospel, those films, um, the cessations film that's coming up, Lord willing here shortly, but also this one. And so I, I think those three films are truly <laughs> Christian films that I can uh, recommend to anyone without any reservation at all. Um, let me ask you, I want to ask you 
Shannon, a couple of questions that uh, I think John is just honestly too humble to answer, and I didn't want to put him on the spot. So would like to hear from you. How did this film come about? And was this something that John proposed to you? Did he come up and say, hey, let's make a film? Uh, how did this, what's the genesis of the essential church? Yeah, you know, I think there were two things happening at the same time, because as I hear Pastor John talk about it, there's things that I'm learning as well, that this was on his mind. Um, and there was even a moment um, during the lockdowns um, and we were open and he told everybody, why aren't we filming this? We need to start filming this. We need to be filming the tents. We need to be filming Sundays. We need to be filming what's going on. We need to make sure that this is recorded because we're going to use this for something, I'm sure, but we need this. And uh, so right away, people started filming and, and I was able to use some of that B-roll as well. So it was definitely on his mind. And I think it's something he deep down wanted. So then when somebody else, me and Jacob, Hoffman, who's the producer, present this idea to him, and I put together a pitch, and we talk about the story. He's then, I think, we're already on the same page. I think that's why it was greenlit the way it was, and and you know what? After he greenlit it, he he had to exercise a certain degree of faith because, you know, he, I don't know if he really knew me super well or what I what I could do or not do, and um, he just trusted. And you could just see the man trusting the providence of God. And um, he, he didn't micromanage me at all. I, what I pitched to him, he said, that sounds good. Go do that. And then, you know, he didn't see anything I did until, you know, the, when we finally had the final cut. And I said, here it is. What do you think? Um, so I, I think it was happening on a couple levels. He was already thinking about it. And then we were thinking about it. And then it converged. And, uh, and then it happened. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, one of the one of the things I took away from this is that contrary to what I see from the usual critics of John MacArthur and Grace Community Church, this was not this was not a rah-rah film for Grace Community Church. This was not something that, um, you know, tried to put John up on a, a pedestal or anything like that. Can you can you speak to that aspect of the film? Yeah, right off the bat, I wanted to make sure that that was clear because i think most people even maybe people some people at grace church i've been there a while i, I understand how it works i know what an elder ruled church is yeah. and we have 40 elders and it's not john just making whatever decisions he wants to make sure i mean of course he's our senior pastor and he's been there a long time and he's earned our our ear he's right. earned our trust in that sure. degree so he has a lot of influence but look um you know, the, the elder board disagreed with him when he wanted to open up right away. Yeah. And he did not run roughshod over them. He did not throw his chest around. You know, he, he, that's not how he rolls. Um, and he knows that, you know, God's sovereign over this. He recognizes that right away. And then he's going to say, OK, well, this is going to be a process and let's see what the Lord does. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that's how we function at Grace Church. That's how our, our elders function. We have a principle of unanimity. They, they have to be unanimous, and sometimes they're not, which means they have to work through that biblically and convince yeah. one another, and that's part of this film. And I wanted to be a part of the film so that those who think that John MacArthur is this, I don't know, I, sometimes I think they think of the church as a temple, or a pyramid, rather, 
And um, at the top is John MacArthur, then the rest of the elders, then us. And that's not what it is. Right. Um, right. So uh, it's Christ at the top. And yep. we have qualified elders who are submitting to the word of God. And if they don't, then they're not going to be there. <laughs> right. The other right. elders will ask them to move on. So we have yeah. qualified elders and we have 40 of them. That's a lot. Yes. We have seven to 10,000 people at our church on a Sunday. So there, there's lots of shepherding that goes on in our church. And that's a massive amount of unit. That's a massive amount of people to become unanimous. And it was not an easy process. You know, I'll, I'll hear on Twitter occasionally, like, Certain churches be like, well, we never shut down. And, the you know, uh-huh. and the government yeah. and, and the, I'm like, but you have like 10 people in your church. I don't think anybody knew that you were even open. We're a little bit different right. in our size and we have a target on us. So right. Right. Uh, and, and you had like two elders to convince and we have 40. Right. Um, so it's it's a little different context and you have to understand God's sovereignty in that and go with it and stay true to the Bible and see what the Lord does. And, and that's what our church did. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because that, that is not to be missed. Like I've heard the same criticism you have from people, and I even brought this up with John in the interview, uh, people from more of our side of the theological aisle and ecclesiological aisle um who uh agree with the uh agree with the churches opening up in defiance of the government, but they still say well, Grace Community Church can't toot its horn in this because, you know, they did shut down and, and our church never, never did. And, you know, there's criticism from our side of the, of the aisle, if you will, to Grace Community Church too. But you're exactly right. It's, uh, and it's not to demean at all, um, small churches out there. And because there's many of them that are good, faithful churches, but you guys have a huge target on your back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, this didn't make the film, um, but there's the part that did make the film is John talks about the hurricane and you say yeah. we shouldn't shut down at all. And he says it was like a hurricane. If a hurricane was coming into Florida right. you know, uh, and it's going to hit Sunday and everybody's going to die, you're going to head out of the state. Um, right. You know, so it's similar to that. He also gave another example um, I chose the hurricane to make that put that in the film. But another example that came close second that almost made the film was he said, you know, if I was on the train tracks uh, with a bunch of friends and um, somebody came up to me and said, a train's coming and he's playing on the train tracks, a train's going to come any minute now. You need to get off the tracks. Uh, well, he's going to get off the tracks and he's going to tell those people to get off the tracks. And if the train doesn't come, well, he still did the right thing. He got off the tracks because. Yeah. And then when he sees that the train's not coming, he's like, okay, well, it's this isn't what they said it was. This isn't what that guy said it was. The train's not coming. So we need to understand that and move accordingly from there. So I think he did the right thing initially to for those first two weeks to heed the warning. We weren't giving um, ownership of the church to anybody, but we were heeding a warning that was given to us. Um, and they were unanimous in that. The problem was, and this is why the film's interesting, in my opinion, especially the part of Grace Church. The problem was, is now that they were unanimous to close or to yeah to heed the warning, to be unanimous to get open back up. Well, that's another cup of tea. Yeah. That was a lot harder. Yeah, so now yeah. they're in a they're in this boat of disunity, and they have to find a way to become unanimous. And I just think the tension and the conflict that conflict of that is very interesting. And I think that most people aren't expecting that to be in the film and it actually is. And I think they'll find it very interesting. 
Yeah, I mean that absolutely. Uh, it, it, the the film is so transparent, uh, contrary to what a lot of people would think and have said, coming from people who haven't seen the film. Oh, Grace Community Church is just lifting itself up and you know making it you know, look like you know this perfect church that never does anything wrong. No, it's it was very. The film is is amazingly transparent with the struggles that the elders were having as they were coming to grips with. You know, what do we do here? How do we how do we interpret Romans 13? What do we do with that? And it was it was very transparent. And I was I was very appreciative and encouraged by that. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that was our goal. And um, I'm glad people are recognizing that. And I hope they're blessed by it. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well, Shannon, we're, the film is going up against some pretty big movies right now. Uh <laughs> Barbie and um, yeah. Oppenheimer. So, um, where, how do, you, how do you kind of break out of that um, the fog of these big films that are out? Which, by the way, no Christian should go to see Oppenheimer, from what I've read in the film. But at any rate, I digress. So how, how do you, as a filmmaker, how do you, how do you get your voice heard above the cacophony of all the other stuff that's getting all the attention and headlines? Yeah, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting conundrum. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, that's why I'm doing shows like this right now. I'm just going on every social media podcast that will take me on and I'm talking about the film because we don't have the budget to advertise like I was saying. Um yeah. Uh so you know, word of mouth is key and this is how we get word of mouth going. Um but I think that if it's if it does get out to folks they're going to be interested if they're going to know if they learn about this film in their community. I think they're going to be interested in it. And I don't think there's anything that's like it that's out right now. And I don't think there's anything that has come out that's similar to it um, as far concerning the church's point of view on uh, it's unique. Uh, nothing that I've seen that uh, documentaries on the lockdown. Tell this part of the story. Yeah. Um, they tend to move only in the data area. And it tends to be very scientific. And we do have that as part of our documentary, for sure, because you can't ignore the data. And there was some scientific blunders that were or lies that were given to us by um, our authorities. But and we address that. But the film isn't about covid or lockdowns. It's about the church. And I think the biggest compliment that I've gotten from people that just watched the film, like on that um, Sunday night that you were there for that premiere at Grace um, they said to me, what you did was actually timeless. 20 years from now, people yes. could watch this film and benefit from it. And um, that is the best compliment I've gotten. So I think if people can hear about this and they go to the theaters, they won't be disappointed. Um, but if it doesn't do well in the theaters, look, God's going to use this film as he chooses to use yeah. it. And I think that's that's good that somebody's recognizing that it could be used 20 years from now. And, and I hope that it is. Um, so the theaters aren't the end all and be all of trying to beat Barbieheimer or Barbenheimer, whatever they're saying it is. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm not trying to beat Barbenheimer. I don't, I don't know if we're going to do that. But um, but in the long run, I think this uh, this is going to be available on Blu-ray and DVD. And I think people are going to benefit from this. And I think 20 years from now, hopefully, you know, people will still watch this and be blessed by it. Yeah. Good deal. 
Good deal. I have no doubt. I, I agree. I think this will be timeless. It'll serve as a, as a, a model and an encouragement because this is, it's not like this is going to be the last attempt by the government to incur upon the rights of the church. This is not the last time we'll see this. It's going to come around again. And uh, this, this film will be a good example for, for us is when that time comes, not if, but when. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the reasons we made it, obviously. Yes, indeed. So Shannon, a couple of practical questions. Um, uh, What can people do? Say they go to the website, which is again, essentialchurchmovie.com essentialchurchmovie.com and right on the front page there's a button that says purchase tickets you click on that and and it's going to take you to a list of theaters throughout the u.s and i think you can put in your zip code at the top and see what's close to you and we're adding theaters every day so you got to keep checking back if it's not close if there's not a theater close to you then maybe there will be soon and you just got to keep checking back it might be that you have to travel 20 to 30 minutes to get to a theater that's near you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I know of some people that are willing to do that. They're taking their small group or their Bible study and they're making a night of it. Um, and uh, so it could be a really fun night for certain church community groups to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you checked on the website, say, five days ago and there was nothing near you, check again because that may that may have changed. Right. Absolutely. For example, I remember just a few days ago, people were saying there's nothing in Phoenix. It's too far away. It's only in Tucson. But now we have five theaters in Phoenix. Hey. So they went from zero to five. So they got a, a, a big choice of theaters and could be right in their neighborhood. And Excellent. that's happening all the time. So if they go to EssentialChurchMovie.com and click on purchase tickets, they'll be able to figure that all out. Okay, fantastic. And it's just one night, right? July 28th. Well, it's not just one night, actually. Okay. That's just the night that it opens. We don't oh, know how okay. long the run will be. Um, okay. I, I don't think it. we're not guaranteed like uh, two weekends, but it's definitely going to be available that weekend for a few days. And if it does well, then they will expand it and keep it for another weekend. So it's just a matter of what the numbers are. And so that could be really neat because if it snowballs and it really starts to grow and take momentum, uh, it's just more opportunities to get the word out to people because they'll hear about, they'll be like, what's that about? I want to go check that out. Oh, that's interesting. I will, I, I have a, a point of view on that conflict and I want to see what these people are saying. And that's what we want. And then we can preach the gospel to them. We can tell them what the church is and uh, that's our goal. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. So I think you started with 170 theaters. What's that number up to now as of, as of this recording? On Wednesday. Yeah. What, how many theaters do we have now? Do you know, Arlie? Yeah. Yesterday we had 250. So we probably have more than that now, but it keeps growing yeah. every day. Keeps growing. We're trying to get that number up to at least 800. We'll see if we can. Okay, great. And what if someone goes to the website and say the day it opens, there's still uh, no theater near them. Is there anything they can do? Like, can can people call their local theater and say, hey, please show this film. Yeah, in fact, that's happened a few times where people have taken the initiative on their own. They wanted to see this film so bad. And they said, hey, my whole church wants to see this film. Why don't you guys carry it? And the theater said, well, we're just not. And they kept bugging them. And then they, when we came around, our distributor said, hey, do you want to carry this film? They had enough phone calls that they said, yeah, actually we do. We'll take it and we'll see how it does. 
So if they call their theater now, if there's nothing in their area and they start bugging them, that actually has had effect multiple times. And we've been able to get that theater to carry it. Okay, good deal. All right. Well, Shannon, thank you so much. I wanted to extend my personal appreciation, Kathy's appreciation. She saw the film too. And uh, it's a, there's times it's a tearjerker. I mean, it's a very moving, very well done film. So thank you to you. Thank you to the entire team there at Grace Productions. Uh, we really appreciate the work that y'all have done. Yeah. Thank you for, for having me on. And yeah, we do have a great team here. The Lord's yes. brought together a lot of creative people to collaborate and make this thing. And, uh, and they've done an excellent job and worked long hours and yeah, it's not a film is not made just by me. There's a, it's me and an army of people. So yes, that's uh, right. I'm, we're blessed to have them. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right, dear ones. Well, Thank you very much for joining me. I hope that this has been an encouragement to you and all of the, all of the pertinent information, the links and everything down below there in the description, movie website and all that stuff and how you can promote it. Please do promote it on your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, uh, promote it. The more the word gets out, uh, the more theaters will pick this up all for the glory of God. Okay. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.